Hello and welcome to the Seeking Health podcast with Josiah Ann and Jessica Meyer. And today we have a special guest, Rebecca Dumstra. And we are going to continue talking about the ATI phenomena. <laughs> Um, as previous listeners to this podcast know, my wife uh, had was raised in ATI, Bill Gothard homeschool curriculum, and that's been kind of a big part of our marriage and our journey. And this last year, um, we have kind of ta- hit a new level with our journey, not just with ATI, but uh, we've been missionaries for seven years, very active in our church for our Ever. Whole forever. <laughs> yeah, we were both raised in the church, both kind of church mice. Is that an expression? Or is that I just a know. book? I don't know. <laughs> church um, mice, that is a book. That is a book. <laughs> Anyways, um, and this last year we've kind of taken a step back from missions, but then also like taking a lot of counseling and doing a lot of heart work. And it's kind of opened up more for processing ATI stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is why we did two podcasts. And then when I saw, um, actually, I shared that podcast. And then Rebecca mentioned, oh, that's interesting. You also have a background with ATI and you're a therapist. Just what's, what's your term? What's your. I'm a certified professional life coach. Cool. Okay. Okay. So you're very much in the space of pursuing health and good balance of life and all that sort of stuff which is like really that's what we want to figure out how to do so i'm excited about this podcast and hearing about your journey and then also talking about like how do you make it work how do you find something healthy at the end of all the journey so maybe we could start with just um who is rebecca dumstra and drumstra We actually practiced that before, and I we just yeah. It's fine. It's okay. I my maiden name. I get it. (laughs) It's hard to pronounce. Well, growing up, I had to answer to Rachel too because there's so many Rebecca's and Rachels in the Christian world. Oh yeah. I can answer to Rachel drum strud or whatever I need to answer to. It's fine. <laughs> so what was it like? When did ATI enter your, your childhood story and how did that affect things? I was about seven years old. Um, and ATI or IBLP, which was Institute in Basic Life Principles, which was I guess, like the parent organization for ATI. Um, They had only been around for a handful of years. Um, So our family was the second or third wave of families who joined up with the program. And um, the little bit of background on my family. So IBLP slash ATI would actually be the third religious cult that had entered my life by the time I was seven years old. Wow. And, um, well, actually, let me, uh, no, it's actually number four. (laughs) Um, So my, uh, my experience um, for the beginning of my life, the foundation of my life, um, when you're that young, you kind of aren't aware um, what's going on. But as I've looked back, I've realized um, that there was a lot of confusion and a lot of searching for my family. Um, they'd been hurt by a church environment, which was cultish, where the pastor would literally make people choose sides. And if you pick one side, you had to leave and were excommunicated from the community forever. Um, then they popped into um, a denomination, which um, is called Independent Fundamental Baptist. I've heard and, of them. Yes. Um, and so from there, very quickly, they met Bill Gothard and decided that they were going to homeschool their kids and use his program. And so um, I didn't know any difference, you know, like you're five, six, seven, eight years old. Like it's, you don't know any different. And so now many years later, um, we're reaping the consequences. I look at things as theories now. Um, the 
IFB theory, the independent fundamental Baptist fundamentalism in and of itself, um, even the IBLP theory of if we do it this way and follow these rules and have these 49 commands of Christ instilled into our hearts and lives, then everything will be perfect. And I'm just like, these theories have now been proven. They don't work. Yeah. (laughs) There has been very thorough clinical trials performed on this system. It does not work. (laughs) It doesn't. For all the people that are still using it and going into it, just there are people that have gone through it and find out that it doesn't work. Yeah, and what's surprising for me is some people that I grew up with who were skeptics of Bill Gothard, um, now that they're adults and have their own kids, they're actually joining the program. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of, it hurts my heart to see, it's like, wait a minute, you thought he was weird when I was growing up, why are you raising your own children that way? And so, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So you had mentioned as a kid, you didn't know any better, obviously. Yeah. Um, what was like, what was that like? And how did, how did you try and please your parents or try and fit into the system or gain that approval that every child wants? How did you, how did you feel like you needed to gain that approval within that system? Basically coping mechanisms. <laughs> yeah. And I coped. I conformed. Um, I was the good little girl, the one that never caused waves. I would be the one kicking my brother under the table, telling him to be quiet because he's going to get in trouble. Just let it go. Just let it go. Just be quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I had my moments here and there, I'm sure. But I I internalized everything. Um, I cried a lot at night. Mm-hmm. I couldn't pinpoint everything. By the time I was 12 years old, I knew something was wrong. I thought... Um, but I thought a lot of it lied within myself and, but I couldn't, I couldn't pinpoint, I couldn't tell you what was wrong. I just knew something was wrong. Was it um, within my own family? Was it within myself? Um, Honestly, I loved the church I was in. Um, I enjoyed going to the ATI's uh, children's institutes. I had fun because you got to sing songs and play with kids and um, do all those things. Um, But yeah, like I said, I just kind of always knew something was off, but there was no way for me to question that. If you questioned, well, why is it this way? Or why does it have to be that way? That was rebellion. Um, So questioning of what you're being taught or your authorities um, ideas or what they're telling you, there was no, yes, mommy, but may I ask a question first? (laughs) You know, there was none of this, like, how do we respect that? Yeah, you are my mom, but at the same time, I'm a human who has rights to be able to question what you're forcing me to do. Um, And so, yeah, early on, there were just those unanswered questions and thoughts that I couldn't really put into words. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, you and I and I just have some understanding of what ATI is. For somebody that doesn't know what it is, what what briefly would kind of give the contours of what ATI is and what would kind of set it apart from something else? Because people might think, well, it's it's homeschooling might be a little more conservative, but mm-hmm. what is it that's that's weird? Or, or, or what do, what are some of the contours of it that make it what it is? How much time do you have? Um. <laughs> Well, like I said, um, IBLP, or the Institute in Basic Life Principles, was founded by Bill Gothard. Um, Bill Gothard was unmarried. Um, he still is. He's in his late 80s now, and he's never had children. Um, and so he founded, I believe it was in, and you may know a little better, but in the late 60s, early 70s is when IBLP was founded, and it was... Um, teaching what he was calling biblical principles to resolve youth conflicts. So through his work as a younger man, Mr. Gothard saw that there were all these conflicts that he felt that teenagers wouldn't have to go through if there were certain biblical truths that they and their parents would apply in their lives that would present all these basic common youth conflicts. And so he began a seminar and he would travel the world 
teaching. And um, this grew to become Advanced Training Institute, which was ATI, which was the homeschool education arm of IBLP. Um, ATI, you, if a family wanted to join this program, you had to fill out a lengthy ap application, which included many personal questions, and you had to have photos of each family member. Um, as the kids got older, you would have to answer a lot of the questions for yourself. Um, and so much of it honestly was based on, you know, does mom stay home? Does everybody look the part? Um, there were a couple of years where we had to apply for, um, a scholarship because it would cost a lot of money every year to join. Yeah, it's expensive. Yeah, I think back then it was like six or eight hundred dollars. But if you look at that, you know, 25 years ago or so or more, yeah. I'm not telling my age, um, <laughs> the $800 no, would be a lot. Um, and so you would join that. And then that would give your child and your family opportunities to participate in IBLP slash ATI's programs. Um, it all costs money. <laughs> Which still costs money, yes. So you could pay money to go volunteer and help run yes. organizations. Yes, you had to pay to volunteer. <laughs> such a privilege. Yes, yeah, such a privilege. <laughs> um, but then they had training centers, was the term, around the world. Um, Australia, New Zealand, several, several different countries, Russia. And um, so you could pay and go and work there. And there were many different jobs. You could work in the kitchen. You could help run a program to orphans. You could run one of the, the men's or women's educational programs, equip and now alert, and all these cute little, <laughs> little phrases. Um, you could travel overseas. Um, I traveled overseas with IBLP um, to do different things to teach children's institutes, the CIs, the children's program, which was like character. where you learn all your character. You would have a, a sash and you get buttons each day. And um, <laughs> it was, there was no end to the opportunities that you could have and the experiences yeah. that you could have. They made partners all over the world with well-known Christian leaders. Um, yeah. Dennis Rainey at one point was on the board or um, board of directors or um, something along those lines. And so there's there's well-known names that are that are connected with Bill Gothard in his program. Um, that's kind of it. Like they started in the home. The focus was on the home um, and your families. But then they wanted you to send your children to them as soon as possible. And there was definitely yeah. a culture of buy our materials, buy yeah. our books, listen to whoever we say you, you should be listening to as far as extra speakers that we bring in and ideas we bring in. Very much focused on come to us to meet all of your yeah. needs for your marriage, for your child rearing, for finance, for everything. So you'd go to the yearly conferences for the homeschooling families and there'd be all these materials and you get these emails all the time with all the extra materials that they endorse. I know for my family, um, I was a teenager when my parents joined. Um, so I remember life before and life after. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But I remember they said like, well, some people worship Bill Gothard. No, we're not going to do that. We just want to use the curriculum. But then you're using all the stuff that they endorse. And then my dad was also the pastor. So he would like teach himself for the sermon, you know, preparation. Mm -hmm. So he had even more time to put into it. <laughs> yeah. So it's like input into the home becomes all that HI endorses. <laughs> yes. Their music, their books, their email, daily email devotionals, their, which you paid for, by the way. <laughs> Um, or the birthday see, cards that would come in the mail. You would get one with the character quality. Usually, it's like cheerfulness or something for happy birthday. Be cheerful. It's got yeah. whatever. Here's yeah. something for you to do. Yes. <laughs> but 
Yeah, so like before we knew it, I mean, my family was like a thousand percent into it because all the input is what they've approved, what ATI has approved. Yeah. For sure. It becomes a whole world. One of the big foundational materials, which they had about five or six of them, but one of them was called Character Sketches. Yeah. And they were beautiful books, very large, brown with gold lettering on the covers. And you open them up, the most beautiful illustrations from nature. And um, they would use an animal to be, and attach a character quality to that mm-hmm. animal. And then do an entire study of what the Bible says and how it was yeah. and wasn't shown in scripture and how it applies to life. Um, so that was what... It was very attractive and homeschooling had only been around really since like the late seventies or eighties and early eighties. And so, and at least in the U S and so homeschool families were scrambling to find what, how do we educate our kids? Cause there wasn't really, there was very little resources for homeschool families. And so this looked, looked like it was a really great, oh, well, it's Bible and it's science and it's this and it's that. It looked really great and it seemed to fit a need for the culture at the time. Yeah, I, I remember when I first, you know, I remember looking through that book or in the wisdom booklets of them just talking about different animals. And it's like, well, this animal has one mate for life. So therefore we should only have one mate for life. <laughs> Like, but what about the other animals? <laughs> like, oh, my daughter's growing go, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, why can't <laughs> you just find, you can find in nature whatever you want to you use can. as true. <laughs> you can, yeah. But now we look back too. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. What was that? I grew up in a no, town with uh, all everybody's family dogs ran free when I was a kid and monogamy was not a value of the village dogs we'll just put it that way they're all related yeah (laughs) that is true but that would not make it into character sketches somehow there's a a choice yeah Mm -hmm. very selective very and that's where critical thinking was not allowed yeah Um, it was allowed so long as it was within that context yeah, um, but. yeah. So I remember, well, I don't know, I guess I'm thinking back a lot, but it, like yeah. even with your personal convictions that they pushed you to have, like they, they make it, they made it seem like in the wi- books of knowledge that you filled out of books of wisdom and, and they made it seem as if you had a choice to make a personal conviction that you're not going to dance or um, just these different <laughs> convictions, but um, it wasn't really critical thinking. Like at the time I thought it was because you had to fill out a Bible verse to support it and the argument to support it. Told it critical thinking. Yes. But then I went to a, a regular non-ATI Bible school and we had these debates, having to debate dancing. And I ended up being put in a team to debate for it, which was opposite of what I had been taught with ATI. And it really stumped me. Like it was really kind of eye-opening to, to do that. And so you look back and it's like, I thought I was using pra- uh, critical thinking, but it's just how it's worded. It's kind of sneaky. <laughs> it is. Well, I think because they won't deny that God gives you a free will, um, but yet they're trying to control and bend that will. Yes. And so you've been manipulated and it's the mind control. And then like, this is your belief, right? It is, isn't it? (laughs) So We seem to use that with two-year-olds, don't we? (laughs) But it's supposed to stop. (laughs) Exactly. You want to eat your peas and carrots, right? (laughs) With our first children, it was, I felt so, like, there were times that I was really surprised at how much you can mind control them. Like, you can just input little thoughts, and they just absolutely are so convinced that that is their idea. But yeah, what stood out to me in your talking is realizing the whole basis of this is to resolve youth conflicts. That's in their title. That's, and it's like, oh, well, 
yeah, if you just mind control them so they don't have any free will, that is that is going to solve the problem. I mean, it creates other problems, but... <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> but yeah, when you use guilt and shame um, as a foundation, like, don't you want to make God happy? Well, that makes God sad. So you don't want to break God's heart. Um, right. When you use reasoning like that, again, you are... You're getting what you want on the outside. They're conforming. They're playing the part. And that looks good. I mean, anytime a group of ATI students or even like myself, homeschool friends, we'd go somewhere, we were impressive. Mm -hmm. We looked good. We were put together. We were eloquent. Um, we love, we could talk with little kids. We can talk with adults. I mean, we were well-rounded. But people were only seeing what, our families and everybody wanted them to see. Um, yeah. It was very performance driven. Um, and it created, there's so with women, there was such a focus on your body. And um, I mean, I've been pulled to the side at different events and told my skirt, which was at the bottom of my knee, was too short and I needed to go change. But yet I'd worn that exact skirt at another event and nobody said anything. So it was very much on like who was in charge or whose standards and convictions were higher. So they were in charge. So your skirt had to be longer. Um, it was, there were the group of people, like you said, who, well, we're not worshiping Bill Gothard. We're just following all of this stuff. And those people to me seemed more liberal as far as how I defined the terms at that point. Um, and I was always intrigued because they seemed a little happier. They seemed to have <laughs> they were always from California. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I, I like I said, I went overseas to, uh, to three different countries with IBLP, and um, traveling overseas actually is what began opening my eyes to this whole fundamentalist world. There's something off with it. <laughs> <laughs> so what were some of the things that started standing out to you as off? Um, well, not connected to IBLP, but with um, some connections I'd made through there. Um, I lived in India for several months and um, I went as like a three week mission trip um, and then went back for about six months after that. And during that first three week trip, um, there had been a woman who was baptized and she'd converted from being a Muslim to being a Christian. And in India, um, you can say that you're a Christian or you can say you've become Buddhist. You can say whatever you want and people don't take you seriously. But whenever you choose to be baptized to them, that's the identifying moment of I am now a Christian. And so I was there and helped participate in her baptism. And so that was the first three week trip when I went back to stay longer um, she'd been murdered by her family because they said wow. she could not leave her faith. And um, that really hit me hard because now her child was in the orphanage where I was working because his family wanted nothing to do. Your mother turned against us and so you're gone. Um, wow. And I began to see that people were walking miles barefoot to get to church early on Sunday morning. And they would be kneeling and weeping and crying or standing up and dancing before church ever started on Sundays. Um, I also saw discrepancies where they would want us to wear saris and, of, and our ankles had to be covered, but my stomach and my back could be open for everybody to see. Which for us, I was like, no, 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 my ankles are okay, but you don't show anyone but your husband your belly. Like, you know, so anybody, but, you know, maybe girls, if you're changing, but you quickly do, you know. So I was like, why is it okay for, you know, Indian Christians, though, that I was with, if a woman's ankle showed, that was basically, like, showing cleavage for us, <laughs> how I grew up. And, um, again, there were drums in their music. Uh, drums were sinful. They called up Satan and evil desires within us. Um, so I saw this commitment to to Christ, I saw a commitment that I didn't understand, that I didn't see back home and the Christians I was with. Our sacrifices would be like, I won't buy 
a new dress or I won't buy, you know, whatever, or I'm going to donate money instead of going out to eat. I'll hear, I'll give the missionary $25 and we just won't go out to eat tonight after church. Um, so the sacrifices that I'd seen people making for their beliefs um, paled in comparison to what I was seeing in India. And then all the seemingly hypocritical things, like, why is it okay for that in my house, but here in this house, it's not okay. Like nothing added up. So that's where the, the questions began um, for me to the point when I went home, um, finally, all those months later, the first church service back in my independent fundamental Baptist church, I sat next to my dad and said, this church is dead. There's no life here. He goes, no, honey, honey. No, it's just like a, a PTSD or a culture shock or a, you know, you've just been living in a third world country where women would hand you their babies and run away because they figure that you can take care of them better than they can. And he's like, it's just culture shock. This is a wonderful Bible-believing, God-fearing church. You'll, get, you'll be okay. You'll get used to it again. And so that is really where I started going, I'm not sure about this because I felt life in uh, India. I felt a different people honestly loved God and they showed it with their bodies, with their commitments, with all of these things. And um, I just didn't see that in the world that I was in. And it is kind of the problem with ATI and similar systems, probably independent fundamentalist Baptist, mm -hmm. that it's a rigid set of rules and it feels as though if one of the rules shifts or you realize it doesn't make sense, the whole thing starts to fall apart. And that's, yeah, like, okay. like You're right. there's flexibility. But there's great comfort in that. I think that mm -hmm. this would be an interesting question too, like, or maybe, maybe we don't want to go here. But, you know, there's comfort in that. And maybe that's what attracted your parents. Like, if we can just figure out what all the rules are and how to make the perfect system then we can have the perfect life but then you create this whole glass castle and glass doesn't bend and then when you when it doesn't work if if the one thing doesn't work nothing works yeah yeah right but go ahead no so you're right yeah yeah so the first thing they kind of changed was realizing that some of these rules don't apply overseas and feeling more life. I'm curious what what did what do you mean by it felt like it was life over there and it wasn't life home? Oh like I said that first service back it felt I just get feeling it felt dark and oppressive. Um, um when you would think in a third world country um where there's a lot more focus on spirits and um and things along those lines it didn't feel oppressive over there but when i came home i again it was these, just these feelings just these ideas that were in my head of some what is the difference like why am i feeling oppressed why am i feeling restricted um and i think again it was just those seeds of doubt and just those questions that were starting um i'm a very emotional person to naturally and so i think i was just picking up on on the idea of well they are so free they're dancing they're, they're singing these worship songs and they're dancing and for me if i did that i thought that was a sin yeah and but yet i could feel their emotion i could feel um their commitment to to god even though many of them had just again gone without breakfast and walked barefoot for miles or they knew their families had rejected them because of the, their choice that they've made to become a Christian. And um, nothing ever just felt right again once we once I got home. Yeah, it seems like in our more fundamentalist churches now, like it's it's more based on actions. It's based on appearance. How our how our families look, do our kids seem to be following what we said, like what they're, what they're supposed to do. Is our family looking perfect? Is Are we following these rules right? Are we singing just right, you know, not too loud and not too crazy and don't raise your hands in the air. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> oh, Lots no. of 
lots of rules. Like we get focused on that. Like, oh, should we allow drums in the church or not? Should we allow ribbons or not? Should we allow kids to stay in the service? Should, <laughs> or or should we allow kids to have Sunday school? Actually, in fundamentalists, it's more like that. Like family friendly. Your kids mm -hmm. must sit on the blanket and never move. <laughs> blanket training, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you heard of that too, huh? Oh, yeah. Oh yes. I have a very um random question for you yeah. to test out how how true ATI fam your family was. <laughs> oh no. Do you guys ever eat meat with milk <laughs> in the milk sauce? Do you remember that teaching? I didn't <laughs> ever eat that. No. But I went through their um nutrition and um <laughs> cooking program and we ate okay. a lot of really random food during that because yeah, you're never supposed to cook dairy and meat right <laughs> yeah like it had to be kosher even though yeah that was a part of our faith technically yeah i know i remember that like and i remember my parents talking about that sometimes <laughs> well the fresh ground bread you're supposed to grind your own wheat and make your own bread oh that's probably where that started with my family actually wow oh. interesting <laughs> Yeah, a lot of the moms would sell um, different grinders to each other, and um, ah, even though we didn't get into, we ended up bought we bought the fresh ground homemade bread from another lady, even though we didn't make it ourselves. Ah. <laughs> yeah, when you walk into somewhere like um, like Great Harvest Bread, I don't know if y'all have that there, but for us, it's kind of triggering because it smells like all the homeschool homes. <laughs> 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 that was just funny question <laughs> no you're right was that like a staple for your family or oh i just when you were talking in the beginning it just like had this thing pop back in my head like what about meat and milk i remember that now <laughs> i forgot about that <laughs> when i was listening to your interview with your husband the, the other episode you were saying things that i was like oh i forgot that i forgot that <laughs> So I think on this journey, and I don't know about you, but for me, I've hit the point where I feel like I've forgotten more than I remember because it's been this long process of trying to recover, of yeah. trying to move past traumas and hurts and identifying the lies that I believed. Um, even this is one big thing I've seen. It's not so much that all these things I was told, it's the things that were assumed. Mm, yeah it's what the culture of ati and fundamentalism it's what it brought and there was so much unspoken yeah. um all these definite rules which we had to follow the the skirts and the this and the that and the um you don't ever touch a boy you're always at least you know six intro um how many friends of mine never touched the person they married before they, I mean, they would do pictures with like their Bible in between their hands, like on their wedding day, like that's the closest they'd ever been and um, different things like that. Um, so it was so much though of the unspoken, the unwritten part that controlled and manipulated who you became because, you know, like we said, there were people from California or from elsewhere who were more quote unquote liberal. Well, they were okay with my skirt being at the bottom of my knee, but if they were from another area or a different person if it was below my knee that was wrong it had to be mid-calf or so there were those unspoken unwritten rules that really controlled a lot of the environment yeah but that's what makes it also so hard for ex-ATI or ATIers to leave and to deconstruct it and to figure it out like it there's just so much unspoken yeah. um like I felt when we got married mm -hmm. I had night every night when we when I first left my family home and kind of had a lot to work through um those first couple years and then it feels like okay I've worked through things like move on mm -hmm. um then we have a kid and it brings up more things and then another kid and then you have to decide well are we done our family or are we gonna have more well then then the whole birth control stuff and teachings from ATI creep up that I hadn't been thinking about um yeah. and talk of vasectomy when you're done your family I mean that was huge in ATI like that comes up like 15 14 years after we're married and 
So you just have these life events where you feel like you're done with AT, like you're done processing ATI. And then these big life events come and it brings back stuff that you was so pushed into you, spoken and unspoken, um, that you then have to process <laughs> the next layer of ATI. Like I'm 37. It's been a long time since I've left ATI, but I feel like this year I've kind of crushed in a lot of ways and mm-hmm. um and all my beliefs and it and a lot of it is actually still ATI stuff um and I I didn't realize that I mean I felt like I had completely moved on so it that's what's tricky if not just ATI but we're talking about ATI right now but mm-hmm. other fundamental teachings <laughs> yeah and when when these things come up it's not as though it's like oh, I had a reasonable discussion about that as a child, and now I'm remembering that. It's like it, it, it impacts in a certain way. It's like a taboo or it's like a, like, it's not rational because the way it was put in was not rational. It's like mind control. And so then at a certain point it triggers and it's like, ah, oh, if I do that, terrible things will happen. You know? Yeah, you don't feel like you can just wave it aside and like, oh, that was the fundamentalist teaching uh, or HI teaching or whatever you can't just wave it aside by acknowledging it 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 gives a fear of how is Satan gonna attack me if I don't do this Um, yeah deep (laughs) yeah and that's one reason why organizations like this they become cults and uh, churches can become cults denominations can become cults a business and even a family can become a cult. Um, And so what we've done, what I've seen through IBLP is they, they address every single, the whole person, mind, body, soul, and spirit. And that's whether with the IFB church, with all these other things, it's why it's such a big deal. And um, you will fight it for the rest of your life. Like I'm 12 years into my deconstruction journey and I've got at least another 20 to go. It's because it's at the core of who you are and what you believe. Mm. And just like you said, all of a sudden you're like, okay, now I have two kids. Now what? Oh no, that's a sin. If we go there, that's a sin. And it opens up, you know, all of these things and the teachings of the umbrella of protection um, about if you have God and your parents and your authorities are over you. And if you step out from underneath that, you are allowing all the tart, this like Satan to just, bombard you with evil and sin and so you're always afraid and so the foundation of fundamentalism and most cults is fear yeah and so you've been taught about the horrible scary things that will happen to you when you leave or when you don't follow the rules and that's what ends up controlling you for forever and it is hard it's terrifying (laughs) it is yeah Sure. Yeah, well, that's what I wanted to ask about next is how was discipline used in your home, if you're comfortable sharing that? Mm-hmm. And then also just the ways of controlling. We mentioned the umbrella that came up in a previous podcast. Okay. And then de- demons, like threatening of demons and like what other sorts of ways were you kind of controlled, either literally controlled as far as like corporal punishment or sitting in a corner or else kind of this larger system of like, if you step out, like like the, the mental framework that controls later on, what, how was control and discipline used in your childhood? There was a lot of, you obey out of fear. Um, I remember I was a young mom when it dawned on me that I didn't want my child to obey me because she was scared. I wanted her to obey me because she trusted me and she loved me and that she knew that if mommy was asking her to do something, that there was a reason behind it. Um, but so often I have to explain my reason and so I have to be trustworthy as a parent. Mm-hmm. I have to have shown that I do have reason why. Um, but there was a lot of that fear, like you obey. The first time obedience was very big where... Um, Within our church, there was an organization um, within our denomination called Majesty Music, and it was Patch the Pirate. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the songs was um, 
I will obey the first time I'm told. I'll obey right away. Never asking why, never with a sigh. I'll obey right away. And then I was quoted a lot um, from Martin Luther where he talks about, um, okay, now it's eluding me. <laughs> no. But uh, it was basically never questioning about how your heart is deceitful and you should never question um, obedience. Mm -hmm. You should just always obey because your heart is deceitful. And so um, it was a lot of do it because you're told to do it. So again, it was a very fear-based. Yes, there was corporal punishment in our family. Um, it wasn't, and there were belts that were used in our family to administer that corporal punishment. Um, that's when we were older. When we were younger, it was like a hairbrush or a wooden spoon or something like that that was used to hit us. Um, but so much of it was that you didn't want to disappoint your parents as well. You were very much taught that you didn't want to, to hurt them. And the big thing was like, if you break our trust, we'll never trust you again. Mm. And while that is true, and that's something that we, that our children need to understand what trust is, um, it shouldn't be the overarching theme of your parenting. Yeah. Um, like we talked that's about. Just interject quickly, and, and probably the things that would break your trust shouldn't be the same things. Like if, if a child steals a thousand dollars and moves across the country, that might break trust. But having your dress a few inches higher and that's going to break your trust or things like that, it's unreasonable. Or even the little things like sneaking a cookie. Well, every child's going to sneak a cookie before dinner if they're fresh hot on the counter, you know. That doesn't break mommy's trust. That just shows the humanity of your child. Yeah. Um, the natural instincts. Yeah. But um, so I've actually been doing a lot of research and I found it's not an IBLP book, but it was a book that was very popular in our homeschool circles. And I've been going over it again and I'll read certain lines out loud to my daughter and she's like, where's the matches? I'm going to set that book on fire. <laughs> she's only 11, but she already knows. And sometimes I'm like, who I mean to have done my job right? Because like, this is a book that I was like, it talks about isolating your children. And so like, if you have a child with a prideful heart, you need to isolate them, keep them away up to a week away from the rest of the family because of the pride that they're showing in their hearts. And, and you don't want to influence the younger kids. Yes. And so there's all these things and I'll read it and I'm like, well, thank goodness, like my daughter under, she's like wise enough and emotionally mature enough at 11 to recognize that all of these teachings, they're just bunk. Like this is not, it's so the opposite of mental health. It's mental illness is what it would say, is what it has set us up for to be yeah. emotionally void and hurt and traumatized. Because when literally the people you're going to for parenting advice are telling you to isolate your children or to remove, like literally one of the examples, I can't believe this, they said to, to promise your children something, that you're going to take them to the zoo, or you're going to go to McDonald's and get an ice cream cone. And then on purpose, don't do it. Because oh, that wow. teaches them the Bible verse, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Oh, and so oh, those are the things that were influencing my entire homeschool community, those type of teachings. And I was like, so you're setting yourself up to not be a trustworthy parent on purpose. It's not like, yeah. oh, I'm so sorry the time got away. I didn't realize mommy will make it up to you later. I apologize. You know, I was like, so as I'm going back through now and reading some of the literature that was popular during while I was growing up, I, I'm just appalled. So it was control, yeah. it was fear, it was shame. Um, of course, again, there was a physical where they either remove you or you have corporal punishment or you, um, you know, all of those things. And that was within the home. Within the church, there was a lot of, you don't want to offend somebody else. So you can't wear the certain outfit because somebody else's standards are different than yours. Um, that was also with an ATI though, because I was talking about before people had a little variance on what they allowed and didn't allow. Um, and so there was just a lot of the people pleasing. I've got to look good to people. I have to make sure I've read their cues so that I know how to behave around them. Oh, so much of that. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I could talk for a really long time on this topic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I still remember though, like I thought when I had my daughter that when she was a baby, every time we left the house, she had to look perfect because that's all I knew. We were first generation homeschoolers and we had to, we were everywhere we went, we had to look beautiful because people didn't understand homeschooling for one. And for two, we were showing, we were um, on display for God, basically. And so, <laughs> so I have a newborn and I feel like she has to always have a bow in her hair. And she always had to have little, these perfect little shoes and perfect little outfits. And as she's growing up, I have a free spirited child. So that doesn't <laughs> work. <laughs> but yeah, mommy's <laughs> over here like, no, 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 you like never have a stain on her clothes. Like if she would drip something down her mouth, I'm changing clothes, changing clothes constantly. Like, because I thought that there was this high level of perfection that I had to make sure my baby was holding up. And um, it took a lot of years. And, and again, thank God that she is a free spirit because she's made me learn all these things about myself and about my upbringing. And I'm, I'm really glad I'm a mom because yeah. it made me face all this stuff that I would never have guessed, like you were talking about that I was even still inside me. Having children really, it's eye-opening um, to see our kids at certain ages that big things happened in our life as a child and remembering how it was dealt with back then through the church, through our parents, or through or not dealt with and seeing how that's not at all what I would do with my kids. Yeah. Um, like, you did what? <laughs> like just overreaction and saying no just to say no or not discussing and um, just being very close-minded, being full of rules and having kids reach different stages, ages has really, it's really helpful. And our oldest is 12, so similar to yours. Um, and I'm sure there's many more moments coming up as they are in those teenage years where we were taunted a lot um, and a lot of things were blocked to us. And I mean, even conversations we have with our, our 12 and nine year olds now, we never would have had with our parents. Um, and it just opens up a level of communication that I hope will help through the teen years for them to know that they can talk to us about anything. Yeah. Um, and, and it, it's encouraging and it's sad at the same time to see, like, I, I still have this vivid picture of just walking to my daughter's room and she's just dancing and singing and I love life and life is great. And, yeah. and I just wanted to cry because I'm like, I hope you never lose that because I don't remember. Like, it, it's been a very long time since I felt like that. I was a kid and then we got into a guy soon after that. Um, and that was um and it mm. it's just interesting like it, it it's interesting to have kids it, it's really helpful in processing just yesterday because i again i told you that book i'm reading through i read i read her a line out of it talking about you know isolation and stuff and she just looked at me and goes mommy thank you for not raising me the way you were raised <laughs> and uh, I meant so much to me because I was like, she sees the differences and it's a lot harder to not follow a strict set of rules. And okay, yeah, here's yeah. your 47 rules and learn each one of them. And if you break them, here's what happens to you. That's a lot yeah. easier than yeah. having that. Like, it's a lot of work. And we are in the preteen years. And that's terrifying because, like you said, yeah. we're shut down. As soon as junior high hits, you shut, they shut you down with all yeah. that you're feeling and all the transitions your body is making and your mind. And, um, I actually had a pastor one time. I've only ever had this happen once. He was familiar with, um, the Bill Gothard stuff and he was from a completely denom different denomination than I was ever part of. And, um, he actually came over to the house once just to get to know us. And he looked at my daughter and he said, you have a really strong mom. And he said, you need to be grateful for her because when she was your age, uh, she was taught things that weren't true. And he said, you need to be grateful that you have a mommy who's fighting 
to make sure that you have freedom in your life. Mm-hmm. And I was like, a pastor just said this to my kid. <laughs> you know, it was one of those moments. Where, this isn't really happening. Like somebody who's a pastor just, you know, commended me for for coming out of legalism and fundamentalism, and like it was telling my child this. And so, um, it is worth it, but it's hard and it takes a toll on your marriage it takes a toll on everything and it shouldn't have to be we shouldn't have to be deconstructing i mean all of us have hurts all of us are wounded individuals Mm -hmm. we've all been hurt by something and traumatized you can't you can't put a level on trauma like that's a simple trauma that's an easy trauma that's oh that was a hard trauma to get through trauma is trauma So we all have to process it. But the problem with all of this, again, is mind, body, soul, and spirit. Many traumas happen to your emotions or to your body. Or This is a lived, like, a lifetime of trauma. This is, for me, it was like 23, 24 years um, before I even began realizing it was wrong. So it was a 24-year trauma that I survived um, and that you survived in, in order to get to where we are. So it's overcoming 24, 25 years of lives and beliefs and it takes its toll, but it's worth it. Yeah. It's like the normal teenage phases and young adult phases we weren't allowed to have. So how do you now as adults and as parents (laughs) of kids similar ages it's like we have to go through our own figuring out um at the same time um so it is a lot it's like learning ourselves while also learning our kid (laughs) our (laughs) preteen I was gonna ask Um, you though have you ever how are you with playing with your kids is it easy for you or do you find it hard very hard I I just have a whole list of jobs to do. <laughs> do, you, do you find that too? Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, my husband can play, like, pull out video games, board games, card games. Let's go to the beach. Let's pull out toys. And I'm always the, I can give you what you need. I'm amazing yeah. at that. But I can't. And I believe that's the inner child work that has to be huh. done because our our childhoods were sounds awful but in a way they were taken away from us kind of like you were explaining um because of those boundaries like I had to wear long skirts when I'm six years old you know um and keep your knees together and you know all those things that the natural curiosities about life um I wasn't allowed to explore a lot of those things Mm -hmm. and um so yeah I'm seeing a common thread especially with women how it's very hard for us to connect on a play level with our kids. I'll do experiments all day long. Like we'll cook in the kitchen and we'll do, right. you know, sciencey things, but to like sit down and play with dolls or things like that, I can't go there. And yeah. I think that's, that's a symptom, you know, of like an inner child thing. Yeah. Yeah. So you still have openings as a life coach or? <laughs> <laughs> I do. It is really another hard podcast. to I'll just schedule another podcast and get one for free. (laughs) I'm trying to keep my prices affordable. (laughs) It's just interesting because I had never made that connection. But like from the time I had my oldest, he he was the only child for almost three years. And I just, it drove me nuts because he needed someone to play with, but I couldn't play with him. Um, So we just did play dates with people. Um, but that's really interesting. I just never learned something new. <laughs> it would break my heart because I would sit down and in five minutes I'm like, I'm out. I know. It's just, just like, ah. You just literally can't. Yeah. But yet I would cry about it too because I wanted to. I wanted to know how to play like that. And I always went to the internal world. I, would, I had a great imagination. And so I was on my own and I would use my imagination and kind of like Anne of Green Gables, like that was, that was who I was. But um, yeah. (sighs) Can I just ask you something quick before uh, going to the next question? Did you say that you do life coaching online? 
Is that something that listeners could contact you? Yes, for sure. Cool. Okay. Yeah, so if you go to my website, um, you'll be able to see I have a coaching spot. You can click on coaching and kind of explains what coaching is. And then, um, yeah, gives you some more information. So. And that would be Re Rebecca Dermstra dot com. Rebecca Drumsta dot com. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> We will put the link in the we'll description the of this podcast. Yes. yes. Um, before we wrap up, I would just be really interested if somebody is, you know, beginning their deconstruction journey or beginning their healing journey, what kind of signposts could you aim them towards? Obviously, this is going to be a long process, but like, where would you kind of start if you're like, I was raised in a cult? I thought it was the right way. I tried really hard to please my parents. At a certain point, there was a big blow up. Maybe there's rejection from the family, maybe not. But where does somebody kind of start to heal from this sort well, of thing? I think at the beginning, you probably, sorry, I'm hijacking here, but like you're probably not calling it a cult. It took right. me quite a long time to yeah. realize that ATI and fundamentalism really is a cult um, or can be. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, like that would be one thing I would point out right off the bat that someone who's starting to question is just trying to figure out, I don't know, like it, <laughs> yeah. calling, calling it a cult is a huge step. <laughs> it did yeah. take a while, yeah, for me to get there. But once I saw that, there was no turning back. Like, oh my goodness, <laughs> that realization moment. Um, I guess for me, I would tell you that don't go into this thinking you already have all the answers. Don't go into this thinking, I know I'm going to believe this, this, and this when I'm done. Um, for me, I would say I want what is true. What is the truth? Um, and I was, I was cautious on my journey personally. Um, I was also scared to listen because I thought everybody would be lying to me. If the people who supposedly loved me the most could lie to me and take me down this path, then why the heck would I trust anybody who doesn't even care about me? Um, so any pastor, any book, anything, I went a long time um, without any influences from, I didn't listen to radio, I didn't listen to anything because I was just like, everybody's lying to me, everybody's lying to me. So I would tell you to look for truth and go in with a mind that's willing to change, not, uh, being dogmatic and this is what I, I believe, this is what I know. And um, then you do need to be careful with some of the influences that you do have because right now I'm seeing in the mental health slash Christian counseling type of world, um, there's two sides. So you have the one side in the mental health world that's basically, and they need to put themselves in check on this one. They're telling people that if they deconstruct their faith, they will also deconvert. Um, that's not always the case. And so by putting that thought out there is really going against a lot of mental health ethical practices is how you're not supposed to tell your people what to believe or how to believe it. Um, you're supposed to let them do this process themselves. So I'm hearing that a lot where people are, are telling you that if you're questioning your faith, that means you're gonna leave your faith. Possibly you will, but possibly you won't. Um, there are also a lot of shaming. Oh, I can't believe you could stay a Christian after all of these things. How could you even, oh my, this is so ridiculous. So on that side, there's, you have to leave your faith and you're stupid and an idiot if you stay in it. Um, so if that's your personal opinion, that's fine. But if you're a mental health professional, you've got to be very cautious in how you're presenting that type of stuff. Um, from the church side of things, people are throwing apologetics and doctrine at wounded people. And I say, well, would you ask a woman to go to Starbucks with the man who assaulted her? Just sit down and have coffee with him. Let's just talk about it. No, you wouldn't. And that's how a lot of people who have been hurt by the church or realize their, their church or like ATI were cults, the Christians and the churches are throwing more religion at them and not really listening. They're not saying, oh, where did, even if they personally didn't do it, how have they allowed that environment 
to still be created around you. And so, so much of this, if you're, so deconstruction, I look at it as dissecting your beliefs. And um, we have a very science family here. And so I, we love the word dissect. And that's what I see it. You could say a piecing apart or a deconstructed sandwich, you know, where the bread, the bun's off and this is there and the lettuce is over there. But um, you're literally taking apart every single fiber of who you are and the beliefs that you hold to find out what is true, who am I? Um, like for me, I questioned, is there even a God? And I would wake up many mornings and be like, this is the day. I don't believe in God anymore. That's it. I'm done. There is no God. I've been abandoned by him where my journey started personally with this. I felt abandoned by God and rejected by him and nothing I like it, nothing added up. Like when I needed him the most, I didn't feel God. And so I would say, this doesn't exist. But every night when I put my baby to bed, I would still pray over her. Because, uh, and so I had all these questions and all these things. So, but look for what is true, not what you feel. And it's okay to ask really hard questions or really stupid questions. Because again, you know, as far as even how a woman's body functions, I've been told things that aren't true. And so it feels like you're, what is it? I'm almost 40 and, and I still don't know this for sure. Like, It's okay because that's part of the healing. So I would search for wholeness, get some help with um, trauma or identifying um, what you're really processing because sometimes we just don't know. Like I was saying in the beginning of my story, I just had a sense something was off. It just felt dark. It didn't feel like there was life. So sometimes we have to just process it. And that's where a coach could help was with is helping you process or what am I feeling or what am I needing to go forward? But then finding a professional to help with the trauma aspect um, would be great. But again, look for truth, be willing to change your mind. And you're gonna hear people on both sides of this pushing you and forcing you into one mold or another, but this is your process. This is your journey and it's gonna be hard. And it's gonna be, you're gonna go places that you never thought you would. because it does, it affects political politics. It affects your marriage. It affects how you identify as a man or a woman or who you're willing to explore, who you wanted to identify with as you were a child. Um, it affects a lot of things. So you have to give yourself grace. And as my own life coach told me, Rebecca, Rebecca, slow down. He's like, gently, gently. We're basically reparenting ourselves. And that's a really hard process too. That's something I'm learning to have more gentleness with myself because I didn't experience that. And um, yeah, there you go. Learning to trust the process, learning to just ride the waves, just go with it. Don't try to direct it which way you think it should go. Just just go, just go with it. <laughs> yeah, listen to your gut. Yeah, exactly. Learning to follow your gut, that's a really huge one. Huge one to learn as we come out of this. I know for myself, like my deconstruction is this year. Um, and really started off with reading lots of memoirs. Um, it just brings questions, you know, it just lets yeah. you see someone else's life and their thought process and helps you think, um, makes you think. <laughs> favorite oh I don't have a favorite like it's been a huge mental change this year for me from January to now huge and I see it when I look at my goodreads (laughs) (laughs) list of books I can see the the big but a wide variety of memoirs from Mormon to fundamental Baptist to uh educated that's pretty popular right now the glass castle those two were actually quite big ones um and then just reading books that make you question like um that just makes you consider life like empty the pews or um Mm -hmm. pure pure was a huge huge book for me um so like just going out there and reading books that you wouldn't have read before that make you think outside the box is so helpful um 
So to add that to a, what would I say to, like, what would you, I guess I'm adding my own <laughs> conclusion here, but like, um, yeah, just re making yourself read books. I mean, even for myself, I just like forced myself to read a book on sex this year. <laughs> I've been married 15 years, but I never was taught anything. Yeah. So I just went on my library app and I just like very embarrassingly clicked on a book <laughs> and, and I made myself read it. And it was life changing yeah. because it talked about it in a positive light, something I never yeah. heard before. Um, yeah. So I think, I think someone starting the journey, like you just, just start to read things that challenge you a little bit um, that are outside the box and it, you don't have to approve it, but it gets you thinking. Yeah. No, that's good. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Yeah, thank you. You guys are awesome. <laughs> like I just want to come to your house and hang out for a day. That would be cool. Yeah, we have fun. Yeah. Y'all are so fun. <laughs> I just feel um, like I mentioned this with uh, Chantel, the, the previous ATI person. Like I just feel sadness for your childhood. And I just, at some point, I just want to wrap this up by just saying, I'm sorry. Like that, I'm just sorry for that person then that went through that and I'm sorry that you went through that um, I'm also very grateful for who you've become and how you're able to give clarity in life a term that I've recently heard is post-traumatic healing have you heard of that term I've heard of it I haven't explored it but yes. yeah I haven't looked deeply into it but just the the concept that after trauma you can become healed and that healing can become a great blessing that you can give to others and um you can actually have something that you wouldn't have had without the trauma. Not that at all that it makes the trauma okay, but there is some sweetness in there, and I can just see that sweet in you. So I just thank you for your your contribution. And if people want to find out more about you, they can go to your website. RebeccaJohnson.com. <laughs> <laughs> They could even hire you as a life coach, which would be awesome. Do it. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Nice to meet you. Enjoy your cold day. Thanks. <laughs> right. Bye bye. Bye. bye.